morning, my friends, and welcome to another stupendous installment of Morning Reload. From high above all other puerile and insipid forms of Wyoming mainstream media, this is Cowboy State Politics. I, of course, am your illustrious host, David Iverson, firmly ensconced behind the silver Cowboy State Politics microphone and broadcasting to you from the base of the Bighorns in beautiful Buffalo, Wyoming. It's Halloween, my friends, a day of mythical creatures, mischief, and some morons, all three of which can be attributed to the Wyoming mainstream media. Unlike goblins, vampires, and werewolves, the Wyoming media most definitely exists. It's true. They're a legend in their own mind, and perhaps that is the most mythical part about them. None of them are conservative, but all of them purport to be conservative. Like the wizard behind the curtain pulling the ropes and levers, they attempt to manipulate public discourse pushing people who are actually Democrats and trying to lead you to believe that they're far more right than they actually are. This form of mischief ends up creating a legislature that is far less conservative than the Wyoming citizens actually are. Case in point, the media in Sheridan, Wyoming. Last week, the host of Sheridan Media's Public Pulse, Floyd Whiting, interviewed the Democrat candidate for House District 29, Martha Wright. Now that, in and of itself, is not significant at all. I, myself, have invited numerous Democrats onto the program. If you'll remember correctly, I had a very interesting debate with our good buddy Rod Miller. Now, Rod is a registered Republican, but he's got some very, very liberal views. And yet, I let him come on the program and we debated any number of issues. That's what any self-respecting journalist would do. Where the problem comes in is when the media is openly dishonest. If you're going to be biased, you should tell your audience that you are. On this program, it's very clear that I'm a conservative, but I don't hide it. I don't try to masquerade as something that I'm not. The other day, I took a drive around House District 29 in Sheridan. What caught my attention were all of the signs for Martha Wright. Not a single one of them says that she's a Democrat. The colors on them are white and purple. Why, oh why, do Martha Wright's signs not say that she's a Democrat? Well, because Martha Wright knows that if she put that on her sign, she'd receive far fewer votes than she would otherwise. Maybe you want to call that strategy. But it really doesn't matter what you label it. It's openly dishonest. Now, I really don't think that Martha Wright has a snowball's chance in August on a Wyoming prairie. But that's beside the point. Now back to the media. So they interviewed Martha Wright with some penetrating questions, but do you think that they extended an invitation to our good friend Ken Pendergraft, who is the Republican nominee for House District 29? Mm, Not so much. Nope, didn't extend an interview. It wasn't until Pendergraft called the radio station and asked for an interview that they finally agreed. That's going to take place this week. Knowing that they really didn't want to interview Ken, do you suppose that he's going to be given a bunch of softball questions in that interview? Don't get your hopes up on that one. So just for reference, I prepared a montage of the first few questions that were hurled in the direction of Martha Wright. Notice the penetrating scrutiny with which Floyd Whiting tries to elicit information from the candidate. Ready, go. Now, uh, good morning, Mrs. Wright. How are you? 
Yeah. Oh, it's been rough. Uh, th- uh, this, so- this ice caught me by surprise on the roads. It oh. took me a little long to get to work this morning. Oh. We'll just start from the beginning. Where did you grow up? Yeah, uh, good old Cheyenne Frontier days, still oh, rolling every, right along. Yeah. Yes, every year. Now, uh, where were you educated? Yeah. Now, what do you do now in your civilian life? Oh, did you see the bullets of sweat beat up on her head? Barf. In the words of Nancy Case, Why do you waste our time with... I was asking myself that very question, Nancy. And then good old Floyd hit her with this preposterous question. Now, uh, the Wyoming legislature continues to fail K-12 funding. What do you see as the problem, and what do you feel could be done? Well, uh, Floyd, you might ask a question about something that's actually true. This just makes me want to throw things through the window. Maybe I'm giving him too much credit, but Floyd Whiting knows how much we spend on education in Wyoming, and he knows that we're not getting what we pay for. All of my frustration with the Wyoming media aside, Martha Wright really didn't handle that question well at all, even given that it was not true from the very beginning. But here's what she said. Well, it is very disappointing um, that our education has not been the priority. We certainly had an abundance of money for so many years from the coil, uh, oil, gas, and um, coal. So we had above and beyond quality, and now we, that's not coming in. But I, I was disappointed when the committee okayed some charter schools just a month or so ago, and now all of a sudden they're pulling $14 million from funding uh, for the schools that um, we were already had such a deficit for. I'd like to play you Floyd's response, but he didn't have one. So I thought, why not ask Ken Pendergraft that question myself? And I'll do that next. But first, a completely obscene profit timeout. Morning Reload is brought to you by New Trend Hats. They have a wide selection of hats for both men and women. And uh, since winter is coming, you should definitely go check them out if you're at all interested in keeping those ears of yours warm. That's NewTrendHats.com. 307 Cowboy Fabrication is your source for Wyoming-built animal shelters. They're solidly built structures out of materials that are manufactured right here in Wyoming. So if you need a shelter for your livestock, give my friends Bryce and Melody Reese a call. Their phone number is 307-441-1815. That's 307 Cowboy Fabrication. You can listen to the podcast on any of your favorite podcasting apps. iHeartRadio, iTunes, TuneIn, really any of them will work. But the easiest way is just to go to the website cowboystatepolitics.com. There you can find all of the shows as well as any of the articles that I might bring up during the course of a program. If your name is Martha Wright and you can't figure out why people are not going to vote for you, well, you can go to cowboystatepolitics.com, pull up an article, and try to figure it out. And now, back to the program.
driving around Sheridan getting irritated with Martha Wright signs, I stop by our good friend Ken Pendergraft's Cross Creek Media Studio. Here's that discussion in its entirety. I'm joined by my good friend Ken Pendergraft. Out of all of the races for the general election, Ken probably has the, more, the most traditional of them. He has a Democrat opponent for House District 29, and surprisingly, there aren't any independents or write-ins or anybody else like that running against him. So, Ken, first, welcome back to the program. Well, thank you. It's always good to be with you. Feels like home. Well, and kind of is. We're actually in your studio. Uh, oh, yeah. So, Ken, first of all, how's your race? I mean, how, how does it sit right now? Do you think you're ahead? Do you think you're behind? What are your thoughts on it? Depends on the time of day. <laughs> My dad used to call them the night demons. You know, you wake up in the middle of the night, and it seems like everything seems more scary then. And I guess the problem is there's just no way to really know. I mean, I go over the numbers in my head, and I'm, I feel very confident about that. Everybody tells me, hey, you got this. And the more they tell me that, the more I want to take a step back and be cautious, not get overconfident. It's really easy to quit doing the things, especially door-to-dooring, that you know you ought to be doing. So I keep doing the things that I'm supposed to do, and it's pretty much up to God to sort that out. You know, I'm going to... As the old adage goes, I'm going to pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on me. As you and I have talked about several times before, you should play like it's bottom of the ninth and you're down by two. One of the questions that's been coming up in several different interviews across the state is the following, that the Wyoming legislature continues to fail in K-12 education funding. So what do you see as the problem and what are you going to do to fix it? That's the silly question. (laughs) <laughs> that everybody's asking. So what are your thoughts on it? You sound like you've already heard my answer. Um, the, the first thing I do is dismiss that question out of hand because it's based on a false premise. I would like anybody, I would defy anybody to show me, including the WA. you come show me where the Wyoming legislature has slighted Wyoming schools. I downloaded a copy of the latest crew report today also have a copy of the Craig Report. Those are available through wildleg.gov in case anybody doubts anything that I'm trying to say. By the way, there's also a copy of the Crew Report at cowboystatepolitics.com. Thank you for pointing that out. It's a good, easy way to find it. And if you look, I think the first one is on page four of that report, and it's a 238 report. Yeah, so it's a biggie. It takes a while. Um, cost me 50 bucks to get it printed. <laughs> That's crazy. But anyway, um, page four of that, it it shows the revenue versus the number of students. And right now, we spend, I think the number is $1.77 billion to educate just over 90,000 students. It's a huge amount of money. The, The very same numbers that are given to the Education Committee, to the Wyoming legislature, what I'm quoting here, and those numbers say that we spend... For every student, for every year, $19,732. There are only a couple of states in the union that outspend us in that. Yeah, there's actually three of them. It, it depends on who you ask. I've heard several different answers. And the crew report itself says that there are 10. 
So where they get their numbers, and that, that's another thing that is really difficult because you'll look at numbers later on in the crew report that say we're spending about 17000 per student, but then there's a little asterisk and there's a little fine print that says, well, we left out interest paid on certain loans and a few other items. Yeah. But when you do the math, it comes down to $19,732 per student. We're spending more today than we have ever spent before. It has gone up virtually every year there's a little bit of fluctuation back between the years uh, 15 16 17 18 um, after we had had some just gargantuan highs and it kind of leveled out a little bit um, we anticipated a pretty substantial shortfall in income which actually did not happen according to the latest craig report which just came out last wednesday and so hold the, on hold on okay we're using a lot of acronyms here. Yes, so we are. I'm using them because I can't remember what they stand for, but I so can get close. To make it simple for our listeners, the crew report talks about funding in Wyoming education, and it tells exactly. you the differences between what the funding model says that you should be paying mm-hmm. and what school districts are actually paying. The Craig report, that deals with revenues, mm-hmm. and it's revenues that the state gets from mineral royalties what was projected versus what actually came in, and then what is projected for next year. Also includes property taxes and sales taxes yeah. and all the, all those other revenues. So basically the models for what they expected over the last six months, have they had been a little bit conservative in their estimates and were about $350 million over that. Um, in the next 12 months, they've revised it up, I think, at $738 million. But the point is, we're not hurting near as badly as we thought we were. I don't think we're hurting at all. We're spending more than other. And thanks to people like our state treasurer, Kurt Meyer, who has done a phenomenal job in managing the funds, when you go look through that Craig report and you see the money that he's bringing in through the state, through the investments of the phenomenal wealth that we already have, you realize that a lot of this screeching from the WA and others about how the education is underfunded is absolutely baloney. Yeah, it's total crap. Yeah. Now, oh, don't the, say crap. You can get in big trouble. Only on the legislative okay. floor. <laughs> Sorry, Chip. It's my program. I could say what I want. <laughs> so on the way over here, I was listening to an interview that your opponent, Martha Wright, did. I'm sorry. Well, me too. I didn't enjoy it that much. Um, but she claims that part of the problem with funding education, and this is why she claims— that there's a problem with education funding is that the legislature gave a big pile of money to charter schools. Yeah, I think she said $14 million. Um, I might argue that number. But the point is these charter schools are still public schools. It's just public schools with different rules. It's still part, it falls under the purview constitutionally dictated to the legislature to fund education. And she's lamenting it as if we're stealing that money from the public schools when they're already desperate and making the matter worse. When in fact, what we're doing is adding a little bit of competition, which will force the regular public school system to become more efficient and more streamlined and more effective. It is a wonderful thing that they've done. Well, it's, it's, a, it's iron sharpening iron is what it is. You know, when you have competition with anything, it makes you perform better, you know, than others. Yeah, I've said many times publicly, whenever you have a product that is too expensive and that is inefficient, it's because it lacks competition. 
So the more that we can increase competition by any means available, the better it's going to be for everybody. All right. So the follow-up question to all of that is, how do we know if we're adequately funding education or not? Everybody claims that you know we're not funding it as much as we need to be. Well, well, how do we know where we should draw the line? That's an excellent question. I personally feel that we should draw the line substantially lower than where it is. I mentioned earlier we're spending nineteen thousand seven hundred thirty-two dollars per student. My wife taught at a private school that, by test scores did a vastly superior job to the average public school, to any public school for that matter. And they did it on pennies for the dollar. There is not a direct correlation between the amount of money spent and the quality of the students that we're turning out. If they were, all of our kids would be gold star getting into Harvard and because we're spending that kind of money. But we don't get that kind of product. The other aspect of it is it's only about Oh, somewhere between 23 and 25% of that money actually gets spent in the classroom. We have administrative costs layer upon layer upon layer. And you mentioned earlier a model in the crew report. The model says this is what we ought to be paying our teachers by comparing relative market of the, the states in similar circumstances. And we pay anywhere between 99% and 150, 160%. I would say it probably averages somewhere around 120% of what the model says. We are paying our people very well. Well, the truth of the matter is all but one school district in the state of Wyoming pay their teachers over and above what the funding model says. And for the life of me, I can't remember what that one school district is, but you know, you have, what, 45 other districts that are spending more money than yeah. what the model says? Yeah, the, the, the average is far above and beyond what the model requires. And, and to me, until I have questions with the model itself and that there are some elements of that that I think could be changed, but as long as we are spending 120% of what the model says – in, in this particular thing, it'd be pretty hard to convince me that we're failing public education. Okay, so let's let's attack that from a different direction then, Ken. Okay. So I Monday, I was down in Cheyenne, and I listened to the state superintendent of public construction say that Wyoming schools are doing fabulous, that we're above the national average. We are. Are we? Are we doing fabulous? We're not doing fabulous. To me, above average is not the same as fabulous. It's, it's the cream of the crap, they like to say. Mediocre is yeah. the term yeah. I use. For the money we're putting in there, as I alluded to earlier, we ought to have outstanding results if indeed there was a correlation. But the answers in education are not in throwing more money at it. In my opinion, the answers are throwing more competition at it. Because competition, as you mentioned earlier, steel sharpens steel. It makes everybody better. It makes the product better. It makes everything better. We don't have that to any scale at all. And we have several ideas, some ideas. I was just talking to Chip Nyman, who's one of the two conservatives on the education committee today. And he had the same idea that I did about the, as we've talked about it before, the Education Freedom Act, which essentially, for those of you that maybe haven't heard our idea on that, 
it takes the same kind of thinking that was behind the Food Freedom Act and applies it to education. What the Food Freedom Act does is say that if you have a milk cow and I want to buy your milk and there's just one transaction, me to you, that the government has absolutely nothing to do with it. It's not necessary for you to be inspected. It's not necessary to have all the labeling and all the packaging and all of the other details involved with there. It's just simply a private transaction. And what Chip was saying, Representative Nyman, what Representative Nyman was saying was, why can't we have six or eight families go together, put together a little one-room schoolhouse, pay somebody to go teach their kids and do it? Why is that not already legal? Well, it was 100 years ago. But it's not now, and we're, we're seeking ways to change that. Again, not to slight and diss the public schools, but to give them some competition and to force them to really look at what they're doing and to get better. That's what competition does. Now, Ken, I've taken a, a really detailed look at our performance in Wyoming education. And I started, well, I've, I've been looking into it for a long time, but it really got me fired up when I heard the state superintendent say, well, we're doing a, an amazing job. We're above the national average. Rhetoric. Well, the truth is that the test they're referring to, the NAEP test, it's oh. graded on Now, a, you're using an acronym. Yeah, I can't remember what that Nash. one means either. Uh, but that's, that's the acronym for the um, National Assessment of Educational Performance. That's what it Very is. Very good. So it's, it's graded on a scale of 0 to 500. And just to use one category, say, reading, I think the national average score is 243. And in Wyoming, we are just slightly above that. It's like 10 or 12 points above that. So really, the national average is we're doing a mediocre job at getting students to pass a test that we created to judge our education system. And so the argument that you're hearing from everybody in Wyoming education is we're above the national standard. Well, the truth is that means that you're just slightly above mediocre. Exactly, the cream of the crap. So the, my question to you is what do we do to change that in public education? My answer remains competition. The more different approaches you have. It's, it's the same principle was when we were supposed to have 50 different states. Actually, it wasn't 50 to begin with. But these were proving grounds for ideas. And each state was, was allowed to do certain things in their own ways. And uh, there I completely misspoke myself. The truth of the matter was the states retained those rights to do things their own way and restrained the federal government. That's a process we call federalism. And they were experimental laboratories. Yeah, they've been called experimental laboratories. Do the same thing with schools. You and I can sit here and brainstorm all day long and only come up with a limited number of things. But if there's a certain incentive in there, in competition, that's why capitalism and free enterprise works, allow other people with other ideas to test those. Pretty quick, you're going to see, oh, look, they got this idea over here in in Virginia, this just this is amazing what they're doing over there. Yeah, and down in Texas, I heard they're doing it. And over in North Dakota, they believe it, North Dakota, yeah. Then you begin to put great minds to work. Okay, so even though we're friends, I'm not letting you off that easy. Okay. 
Senator Charlie Scott, who's the chairman of the Joint Education Committee, wrote a, a white paper back in January, and he concluded that 40%, above 40% of our fourth grade students do not know how to read. And why that is significant, and actually to quote the white paper, he said that 40, above 40% of our students score below basic reading level. So essentially, they don't know how to read. So wonder the, what happened to phonics. Well, I, I mean, that's, that might be the answer. Let me finish my question here, Ken. So for whatever reason, and I'm not an education expert, but I can read the data, that between third and fourth grade, that's a pivotal moment in the educational development of a child that there's a correlation to the performance at a fourth grade level, the level of performance, you know, given the age, you know, age material, it correlates to how a student performs when they're a senior in high school. And more often than not, if you're below basic at fourth grade, there's a high likelihood that you're going to be below basic when you're a senior in high school. So Ken, it seems to me that we have an education emergency on our hands that we're not teaching half of our kids to read. So what would, would you do as a Wyoming legislator to fix that? I would encourage different education models. It's another way of saying competition, but let hear me out. Every student learns at a different pace, in a different way, in a different style. We raised three kids, and then we helped with a couple of others and what worked with one might work in a public in a traditional public school setting but i will tell you especially among young men the public school system for learning is not exactly conducive to most of their styles good teachers people who have really studied the art and good teaching is an art understand this but because we have federalized, at least in part, because we federalized the education process, there's a way we do this. And this is how we do this. We bring the kids into the room. We set them down. We face them forward toward the teacher for a certain number of hours. We let them go out and run around for a few minutes. We come back in. And that may work for a certain percentage of the students. But there are all kinds of other ways to learn. Why do I know this? I've been involved in homeschooling now for 30 years. I have watched amazing people do amazing things in teaching their children by taking them on a vacation. And they go and they walk through a museum and they, they'll ask their kids things like, what do you see? What do you think that might affect? Just everyday life, especially if you're a ranch kid, man, the things you can, the things you can learn between you know, helping mom with the books or whoever cooks the books, uh, the just everyday life is a huge learning experience. We get so concerned with we've got to have a certain test score by third grade or we failed. Who says? I had one kid in particular that wasn't the, wasn't the least bit interested in school learning. He's a genius. Had an IQ test done, he's like 140 or some ridiculous number. He was bored silly there. He could learn and process things in different ways. And that's, that's what I'm getting at is this one-size-fits-all concept of how we educate children because it comes from one source is wrong. It needs to be blown out of the water. We need to 
put it back out into the laboratories, and people are going to come up with ideas. And if you start frequenting homeschool sites where different people, and they really work hard at how do we get the most out of our students, why do you think most spelling bees are won by, by homeschool students? Because people have really studied alternative ways to teach, and they're excelling at it. And the more that we force people to try to do things the way we've always done it, the worse it's going to get. Okay, let's kind of switch gears a little bit. Gladly. As you know, um, recently I broke a couple other stories concerning Wyoming education, and one of which was a video that was shown in Cheyenne South High School and a worksheet that was passed out to go along with the movie. So clearly we have a problem. At least I think it's pretty clear that we have a problem of inappropriate materials in the classroom, in in libraries. This wouldn't even be a question 25 years ago. I know it wouldn't be. It's ridiculous where we've come. But it's and as as Superintendent Schrader put it, it apparently now we have to debate this. Yeah. So as a legislator, what can you do to fix that situation? What what plan would you have? How would you approach that? It's an excellent question, and I don't know how long it might take me to answer that. I could probably write a book. One of the themes, and and you don't like it when I go down this road, but one of the themes that I carry near and dear to my heart is that it is not the legislature's responsibility to fix every societal ill that comes along. We have a societal ill here that is a deep spiritual problem that goes well beyond what the legislature could or could not fix. Now, don't take me wrong. I'm not going to completely sidestep this because there are things we can do to help. But what I'm saying is this is not a legislative problem. This is a cultural problem. This is a sin problem, and it runs very deep. The thing that I believe the the legislature needs to do is to release the reins a little bit rather than choke down harder. But can. It, it seems to me that we've, we've let out the reins a lot, and that's why we have all of these materials in the classroom and people being shown videos and inappropriate worksheets being given to students. The people that let out the reins wasn't necessarily the legislature. It's the school boards. It's the parents. It's the people that need to be directly involved with and controlling the, the education. Now, what I'm getting at is a, a ground-up approach. This needs to be fixed, first of all, by the parents, by the PTA organizations, by the school boards. It needs to be fixed by the local churches that help better educate people about what the dangers are that are here. By the time it gets to the legislature, it's a top-down fix where we're trying to stuff the genie back in the bottle. And quite frankly, it's a little bit too late. I'm not saying that there aren't things that we can't do and we could discuss some of those. But this, this issue, if it's ever going to actually be fixed and not just stalled or held back a little bit, has to involve, and we've seen it here in Sheridan, for example. We've got 15 people running for the school board because they are fired up. That's what we need, and that's where this gets fixed. Across the state of Wyoming, 
there have been increased incidences of opioid overdoses. Um, our sheriff in Johnson County told me that his deputies can't even enter, enter the evidence locker without being suited up because they don't know what has fentanyl on it and what doesn't. Clearly, we have, a, a, and I might even call it an epidemic on our yeah. hands. Yeah. So from a law, law enforcement perspective, what changes need to be made, if any? How do, how do, we, how do we approach tackling this fentanyl problem? We need to lock our doors. If you find that your home has been invaded, you need better protection. What I'm saying is the very first thing we need to do is to take control of our borders. That's where a lot of this fentanyl is coming from. It is a, a porous border that allows ungodly amounts of evil in all different shapes to come across it. We have to lock the doors. And the next thing you do after you lock the doors, you go and assess where you're at, what damage has been done, what caused the damage, and how do we try to remediate that damage. The damage that is done in this society is we've lost our focus on God. We are a people. We, we've taught our kids for generations now that you're nothing but dust in the wind that somehow through some cosmic slime maybe it got struck by lightning who only knows and it became this and then this came that so you just evolved from nothing there's no god there's no real right what what do you think is right johnny what do you think is right johnny well you're both right we can't live in a free society without god and that's what we've got to get back to you can't turn around and legislate God. And I know it sounds a little bit corny. You have to work with the hearts and minds of people one at a time. What has failed us, frankly, is not the government. It's not the legislation. It's the pastors and the teachers and the churches. They have not stood up where they should have stood up and said, this is enough. And this takes us right back to what I was just saying. By the time it comes to the legislature or the government to try to fix something, the genie's out of the bottle. The problem is beyond the scope of what they're ever going to be able to master. We've got to get back to God. We've got to get back to the basics of how we have a free society. Our forefathers knew that a godless society could never be free. Now, I have one more question for you sure. before we close out this interview. But since today is Halloween... I want to take an opportunity to just remind our listeners that if you have kids that are trick-or-treating, don't let them handle any candy that's not individually wrapped. Don't go to houses of people that you don't know. Be very, very careful. There is an epidemic of fentanyl in Wyoming, and you know, as, as parents, we need to be very watchful, of, especially tonight when we're going— Going house to house. It's pretty terrifying. We never thought of this when we were kids. You know, no. I was I was a kid in the early 70s, and we'd take off from the house out there in Bighorn. We'd go for miles, basically halfway around the loop, you know, and, and never even gave a second thought that something could be bad. I know. It's horrifying. That's, that's probably the word. Yeah. So the last question I have for you, Ken, is I do a lot of traveling. Um, way more than I ever thought I would when I started this program. But everywhere I go, 
in every Wyoming town, the number one thing that I see more often than not is a help wanted sign. And I know the answer you're probably going to give me to this question, but I want you to answer it differently. So we have a problem with our labor force mm. here in the state. First question, part one, why? Why do we have that problem? And second, what can be done about it? This, is, again, is a systemic cultural thing. There used to be, I was raised with the biblical concept of he who will not work, neither let him eat. The world doesn't owe you a thing. You've got to go out there and get whatever it is that you estimate in your own mind that you need. Nobody owes you nothing. And somehow we have evolved that and the governments have encouraged this line of thinking of victimology where I never stood a chance. Everything was always stacked against me. If, if only I had another hand up, that sort of thinking has to be eliminated. It, it occurs to me that probably the way that's going to happen, and this sounds a little bit apocalyptic, who was it said socialism is fine until you run out of other people's money? Margaret Thatcher. Yes, Margaret. We're going to run out of other people's money. We're going to bankrupt the system. And it's already morally bankrupt. It's going to be financially bankrupt. It already is, but it's, it's going to prove itself out. Things are liable to get bad. And I hate sounding like that. I hate sounding uh, like the, the doom stalker. Well, if you're sounding like the little bl black rain cloud, you're on the right program, man. <laughs> um, what can we do about it? You have to reverse the situation that got us here. And one of the situations that got us here was people being given whatever it is they think they need. Ad infinitum. I've, I've been around the world, and I've been in some genuine third world countries. And I have been where I have seen men literally fight over a half a sheet of plywood because of what it would mean to the improvement of their living quarters. We live in the first world. Our poor people here have several devices. They have color TVs. They have reliable vehicles. They have they never known a day without food. Now, I know you're going to hear people out there and say, oh, there are hungry people all over. Hungry and starving are different things. Frankly, if you're packing around a cell phone, you're not poor. Yeah. Yeah. It, you look at it on, his, on the global level, which I have, and I've been to places and seen how they live and the number of things they have. These people that are talking about how poor they are, they got their cell phones, they got their color TVs, they got uh, dependable transportation. They're going through the line at the Walmart grocery store and they're getting packaged shrimp and prepackaged food and all this other stuff. This is not poverty. This is abuse. What we're doing to these people by teaching them to lean on someone else is abuse. It is not kindness. And I mentioned to you earlier, it is not kindness to subject people to futility. And what I mean by that is this is one of these examples is this can only last so long. And eventually it falls apart. It will fall apart. And to teach people that this is, you know, where, do, where does food come from? Oh, the grocery store. We have gotten away from the fundamental truths of self-reliance, of I need to work for a living. That's what God promised Adam. By the sweat of your brow, you'll earn your bread. 
we have gotten completely away from that idea, thinking that we can be like God. And just like in Genesis chapter 1, it's not going to work. So I lied. I have one more question. <laughs> you and I you and I talk so often yeah. that I forget that you are running for the state legislature. Oh, yeah. I and, almost forgot. Yeah, and so I think I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, all right, Ken, so why should voters in Sheridan County pull the lever for you and not for your opponent? Well, I don't want them to pull the lever because I, I want them to darken the circle. I'm the only choice you got. My opponent offers more of the same. I have listened to this individual speak many times and has spoken many, many words and said nothing. When I speak, and those of you that have listened to me understand that, there's substance there. You may not agree with it, in which case you can say, okay, I'm, I'm going to pull the lever for or against. But I'm the only one that is actually putting down concrete evidence. Beyond that, I've been in this game now for two and a half years. I have made very good use of that time, have befriended any number of the legislators, uh, made a couple of enemies, I guess you would call them. The point is that I'm doing the job already, and I understand what's at stake, and I understand who the players are. When I get to Cheyenne, I'm not starting out. I'm already hitting the ball running. We're already working on, on Bill's to help improve some of the very things we've talked about, education and a few of these other things. Uh, we didn't talk about property taxes. We're working on that. But I, I think I've already talked about that at infinitum and other instances. You need to vote for me because I'm already doing the job, and I'd like to get paid for it. <laughs> I, I approve that statement, and you should too. So if people want to get a hold of you, how do they do that? You can reach me. 763-0989. That's a 307 area code. You can reach me at kpendy62, kpendy62 at gmail.com. You can go to crosscreekmedia.com, and there is a reach out to us page. I forget what it's called, but you'll find it. You're pretty savvy, all of you out there. Um, you can send me an email that way. And additionally, while you're there, click on the link that says opinion and podcasts and you'll see the podcast that i have been doing called the ramble room and right beneath that you will see cowboy state politics featuring none other than david iverson and i thank you for the opportunity to be on your show well thanks for taking the time to visit with me ken and when you get to cheyenne i expect to be the first phone call like i said before Sheridan Media did agree, eventually, to give Ken an interview, and that's going to happen this week. We'll find out if Floyd's questions were nearly as penetrating as the ones that he gave to Martha Wright. But that'll do it for today's program. Now, it is Halloween, and if you have kids, be very, very careful of which houses they go to. And please, don't let them handle any candy that is not individually wrapped. Have a good week, and we'll talk again on Wednesday. From the base of the Bighorns in beautiful Buffalo, Wyoming, I'm David Iverson, and this is Cowboy State Politics.